and welcome to the Heat Check Podcast, Miami Herald, Miami Heat Podcast. I'm David Wilson, and I am joined, as always, on the other line by Anthony Chang, our Heat writer here at the Herald. Anthony, what's going on? Busy times, David. This offseason, it feels like it's been kind of long since the Heat were eliminated in the first round, but things are really starting to pick up now with the draft in a few days, and free agency starting later this week, or later yeah, ne- will- early next week, actually. Yeah, I will say the uh, the draft and free agency definitely snuck up on me yeah. this year. And part of it, I think, is the Olympics also, which we will get to uh, in the second half of the episode. You like that transition? Uh, we have uh, Tim Reynolds coming on uh, from the Associated Press. He is in Tokyo. Uh, we're just trying to make our schedules work. So we'll have him come on in the second half of the episode uh, to talk about uh, what the heck happened against France um, and, and just this the team's outlook. For a medal and, and all that kind of stuff, obviously some some BAM talk, maybe some Nigeria basketball talk. So a lot of Olympic stuff to get to. And like I said, it's kind of, um, in a lot of ways, I think it has kind of overshadowed the draft slash free agency uh, period that we are now uh, coming into. You know, to me, and again, also the, how long the season went, I think, obviously crowded on that, too where to me the draft usually kind of feels like its own whole season, right? You get like a month of basically like everyone's putting out their updated lists every week. Um, and this week I guess like guys like Sam Vecini at, at The Athletic and, you know, The Ringer does their draft guide. I guess those have been updating for the last month or two probably, but um, I haven't been really paying attention to it. Now all of a sudden uh, we are here at the draft. Obviously a, a weird one for the Heat. Uh, they do not have any picks going into the draft on Thursday. Um but Anthony, I'll, I'll so I, I got I'll start you with this question. Then, do you think the Heat will make a pick on Thursday? Um, in my in my humble opinion, I do not think that he will enter Thursday's draft planning to get into the draft. Like okay. I, I don't think they're planning. To, I don't think they have the intention of doing it. That's my that's my like read on the situation. But I think if someone on their board drops to where they feel like they can take advantage of the situation and get in and get that guy, then I think they will. So I don't rule it out, but that's kind of like a... Right, if they have a guy who's like in their top yeah. 20 or something and he falls into the middle of the second round, middle of the second round. and you can just buy that pick instead of having to trade something for it, then it becomes... Exactly, exactly. yeah. I mean, the Heat have $5 million to spend on a pick, so they have the resources to do it. Um, it's just a matter of... You know, paying it's it's money, so you're paying a couple million dollars to to buy a pick. So you have to really like that player. So they, I think it's possible, and they have they have the means to get it done. Um, but I think if if you know the draft, there's nobody on the board that kind of falls or they feel like would be a steal at a certain spot. I think they're they're fine just kind of going the undrafted route. They've had a lot of success there. Um, so um, I could see both sides, but I I would if I had to predict, I would say they don't make a pick and they just sign a bunch of undrafted players in the hours after the draft. Yeah. Yeah, I think that makes most sense. Um, you know, once you get – like, once once you get out of the, the top 45, basically, like, there's really no difference in a lot of ways between drafting and um, just waiting it out. As long as, obviously, the guy you want is, uh, you know, going to fall out of the draft. You know, a lot of times guys will, like, kind of get promises even before the draft ends that they're – kind of signed with the team. It's how you kind of see that rush of, of you know, that night right after the draft is a rush of undrafted free agents signing um, and the Heat. <laughs> we were talking about this. I don't think we talked about this on the mic uh, last week. But we were talking about this off the air. This The Heat, they, like, need a lot of undrafted free agents this year, yeah. um, especially with we don't know how, how far Nigeria is going to go in the Olympics. But, you know, two of the uh, – Best, you know, two of the centerpiece guys for this uh, for the Heat summer league team theoretically are going to be um, KZ and Precious probably right, and those guys are obviously playing with Nigeria right now, and we we don't know when they're going to get there. Um, other than that, you know, the Heat, you know, like Omer Yurt Seven, I guess will be in in summer league, but you know, Tyler Hero's not going to summer league. Yeah, Max Schroes will be in summer league, but yeah, Tyler Hero's not going to summer league. Um, you know, obviously, like, Duncan Robinson, oh, he's a free agent, I guess, so who knows where he's even going to be. But, you know, like, guys like that are, are not going to Summer League at this point, even though they're young and, and you know, typically, like, a third-year undrafted guy would be going to Summer League. Those guys are established enough that this team's going to basically have to build a, a team around Struess, um, 
over Yurtsevin and, and maybe the two Nigerians um, of, of undrafted guys, because, again, they don't have any first-round picks, they don't have any second-round picks, and, does like you said, doesn't seem necessarily likely that they're going to get in there. Yeah, and it'll be undrafted guys, and it'll be also a few kind of guys that have been overseas or maybe that played right. for Sioux Falls in the past few years. There'll be a few veterans. I was talking to Adam Simon for a draft story, and I asked him about that, and he's like, yeah, it's just like we have to kind of find the right combination. It's not going to be all undrafted guys, um, but you find the right combination of kind of guys you want to take a look at maybe that are veterans that, you know, you don't just have undrafted rookies on there. So there'll definitely be a lot of undrafted rookies. They'll have to really prioritize that, especially if they don't have a pick. Um, but there'll also be uh, probably some some guys some that have played for the Sky Force um, in recent yeah. seasons and other guys that maybe have been playing overseas that he maybe want to take a look at. Yeah, I mean, they'll, they'll, and they'll, we talked about it. There will be guys from the Olympics who maybe pop up on the radar for some teams, right? Like uh, we've seen, I think it's Caleb Agata from Nigeria that's played well. Um, and there'll just, you know, there'll be a couple other guys who just kind of come out of, you know, who, who pop on the radar that obviously NBA, team, NBA teams have been following, but maybe elevate their stock a little bit and get that summer league invitation. Yeah, um, and I, yeah. I still and I still wonder, like, you know, even if Nigeria gets gets bounced in group play and, and they're done August first, like, does the Heat push Precious and KZ and Gabe to play in summer league? I mean, they might, but I mean, they those guys have been in camp with Nigeria since like the middle of June, you know. Um, they really haven't had much of an offseason. I know they're young, but part of me is like maybe they won't. Maybe they'll just have them around the team, maybe practicing with the team in Vegas and not playing games, but just kind of being practices and like kind of just learning from the mm-hmm. coaches. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see how they handle that just because it is kind of such a unique situation with the Olympics and Summer League um, kind of overlapping here. Yeah. Yeah, to me um – you know, those European guys that they find. You know, and the Heat have done pretty well, I think, with – obviously we talked about it with the undrafted, but but also with some like the G League kind of guy. You know, even like Kendrick Nunn was really you – know, I know we, we think of him as an undrafted free agent, but he was really a, a, more of a G League find. Um, Gabe Benson, I think, was in the same boat, right? He was kind of a – just bouncing around. Was he at the, the Sky Force, I think, before the Heat? I gave him a shot. Like, they've done a good job of kind right. of – Finding these guys, we haven't necessarily seen it. I, I don't think with the Europe guys coming from overseas, but they've done a good job, um, kind of building out the the, the fringes of the roster, the bottom of the roster with those kind of guys. So uh, there'll probably be someone from the summer league who, you know, gets a real shot to make the Heat next year, right? Like it, it seems like it happens every year, basically, at this point. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm interested to see who they go after in. Uh... And 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 the and, you know when they look at undrafted guys, it's because usually it's it's pretty interesting to see like the guys they've been coveting and and who yeah. what type of player they're going after. I mean, lot, like you just mentioned a few of them, but like Chris Silva, like he, I mean, he had a reputation in college. Obviously, he was like defensive player of the year in the SEC and yeah. very good shot blocker uh, for South Carolina and just defensive player. But you know they they go after him and they develop into it. He had a standard contract, like he was a guy on the mm-hmm. fifteen man roster. Um, so it's just it's just interesting to see how they go about kind of finding these these diamonds in the rough and 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 you know their vision for those players. Yeah. Um. Any uh any undrafted guys who uh, you like? Any anyone who you've read about or second round kind of guys that I know you're not probably doing the same type of draft prep you're usually doing, but was there anyone I I don't know you've maybe heard about that has piqued your interest? No. I've done no job, actually. <laughs> yeah. I, between the Olympics and everything, and the Heat not having a pick, and me not thinking they're having a pick, they're gonna pick. Then uh, I haven't really done any. I've been I've been leaning on you, David, to yeah. to give me your un, your knowledge of of some guys who might go and draft it that you think would fit with the Heat. Yeah, yeah. So for my, uh, I'm I'm gonna go off Sam Vecini's draft guide at the Athletic. He ranks the top 100, so that give me a good uh, starting point. I'm I'm gonna say what should what. Pick should I start with is saying that guys could be undrafted, right? Because, you know, it's not going to just be the straight-up top 60. What, like 45 and below? Does that sound fair? 46 and below? Yeah, I would say, yeah, like 46, top. 50 maybe around there, like 50 yeah. and below around there is, is fair. All right. Uh, well, a couple of guys have come up on the list. You asked me to give a top five, but I, I don't know if I have a strictly That's a top five. five. I like Isaiah Livers from Michigan, um, kind of like a stretch four kind of guy. Um, you know, I don't know if he's like totally a fit with what the Heat need. I don't know how much you're just looking for need and undrafted free agency anyway. But um, you know, he's a Michigan guy, right? He played for um played for Juwan, 
uh, got hurt in their tournament run and kind of derailed them a little bit. But, you know, stretch four, six, six, seven, six, eight kind of guy. Um, just a guy who I, I feel like is going to be an NBA player. Um, I like Charles Bassey from Kentucky. If you're looking for, you know, I know we've talked a lot about finding that kind of traditional center. This guy was a five-star recruit coming out of high school. Um, you know, six ten, like a true like six ten center, right? Like what what you look for, uh, kind of an old school kind of guy. Um, you know, if this was uh, 1997, he'd probably be a lottery pick. Um, that's the way I kind of feel about him. I think he fits that. If you're looking for just that big center, that big old school kind of center, we feel like that's maybe something the Heat need. Um, then he's a guy that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I love Raekwon Gray from Florida State. I don't know what he's going to do in the NBA. He's kind of like Zion, but not athletic. Um, you know, like a 6'8 point power forward from Dillard. So, uh, you know, local guy. It doesn't sound like Zion at all. No, not at all. But, uh, yeah, he's, he's, uh, they, the Florida State tried to play, plays him like Zion, but he yeah, doesn't yeah. have the athleticism. Um, and again, he's a, he's a Dillard guy, Fort Lauderdale, so, uh, Got some some local ties there. He's a guy that just kind of makes a lot of sense as someone. It feels like he'll be on the Heat summer league team. Um, I don't know what that'll mean. Like I don't know if that means he'll make the team, uh, but it, it, it's a it's a fit that kind of makes sense. And he's you know he's got some like you know point forward. And obviously the Heat have, have really leaned into that. Even not even just with Jimmy, but they were doing that with uh, Justice Winslow a couple years ago too. Um, I like. I guess I got to throw Luca Garza out there. I don't really know. You know, he's a he's a DC guy, so I got to shout him out. And obviously, was like the national player of the year in college basketball. And another guy who, if we were in 1997, would be a first round pick. Just really skilled offensive center, horrific defensively, but um, you know, can be like a maybe like a little ends canterish. I think is probably the comparison you would throw out for him. Um, and who else do I like? From this list, I think you're at five. By the way, I think I'm at, I'm at either four or five. You're killing. Um, me. I'll throw I'll throw the unfortunately named David Duke point guard from Providence. Um, just you know, like kind of a classic like scoring college point guard. Um, you know, you can never have too many of those types of guys, and but just unfortunately named. Are you a Cade guy at the top of the draft? Like, is that the guy? You're yeah, I'd go Cade. Before? I'd go Cade. I think I, I like Mobley a lot, but I just. I, don't know. I feel like Kate, like you got to just take the the wing who can create things. I know that sounds foolish after we just saw Zion or after we just saw Giannis win the NBA championship, but unless you know, I don't know if Mobley will ever be that kind of guy offensively. I think he's going to be awesome defensively, um, but I think Kate is you know that's what you build championship teams around is bigs scoring wings who can yeah. do a little bit of everything. And, and I know he's probably going to be a point guard or shooting guard like uh, as a rookie, but he's really kind of like a big small forward who can do it. Like he's it's obviously like people are going to compare him to like Magic Johnson and LeBron and like stuff like that. And that that's what he's, he's giving you. And there's a reason that th- that guy goes to the top of the draft. Yeah. I've even seen like Luca comparisons, which. Yeah. A little Luca-ish. I mean, they're all in the same mold, right? Big, Ball handlers, basically, who can do a little bit of everything. Yeah, yeah, I think you you always take that guy number one. Yeah, know, exactly. I think that's a lesson that's been learned over the years. Like, if you can find a wing who can do pretty much everything and create for others and also score, like, there's not enough of those in the NBA. So, I I, I agree. I think Cade, Cade ends up number one. That's my prediction. All right, we got a nice little Broward County representation at the top of the draft, too, with Scotty Barnes. Who's uh Florida State went to U school with uh Vernon Carey Jr. So uh got some second straight year we'll have uh, at least one South Florida guy taken, which obviously doesn't necessarily happen every year. No. No, it doesn't happen often. But basketball has been I mean, you can speak to this more than I can, covering a lot of high you know, high school basketball, especially yeah. states in Lakeland, but like high school basketball in South Florida has been picking up lately. And I, I kind of attribute it to the big three effect. Like I, I really think that yeah, like definitely. that that team, that era of basketball. Yeah, the big three plus the way, you know, just kind of weighed in general. Yeah. Like the, the heat turning into, because, you know, even the, these kids who are getting drafted now are, you know, let's say they're 19 years old, means they were born in 2002, right? Yeah. Right. So, so, you know, they were like 
probably some of their first memories are that the Wade Championship, basically, yeah. right? So. Yeah, that's the way it works. That's why I mean, that's a big reason why football has been so big down here lately. You know, over the years, with the Dolphins being so good, you know, in the '80s and '90s, and the Hurricanes being a powerhouse in the late '80s and '90s, and even early 2000s. So. It's just funny how that always translates to, like, the lower levels yeah. and the youth levels in the city. Yeah. All right. Uh, should we move on to uh, free agency? Yeah, let's do it. All right. We've, uh, this has obviously been the biggest topic we've had on the show over the last couple of weeks. Uh, now we are closer. You and, uh, and Barry Jackson combined on some stuff this week, just kind of setting the stage for uh, what will happen uh, on Monday when negotiations can begin. Is that right? Negotiations can begin Monday, and then they yeah. basically can – the window opens the following Friday, August sixth. Yeah, August sixth. Yeah. Start signing. Um, what just? What's the latest? What, what do you? I, and by the time you know, I know by the time people are listening, to this it could be outdated. But what is the latest? What do you feel like confident about that? That just going into Monday will be the options, basically, knowing well, that a lot could change. Yeah, a lot, there's so many different ways that he can go here, and a lot of it honestly is based on kind of what they know entering free agency. You know, because the timing of this is so tricky um, because, you know, the heat up team options to decide on with Goran and Andre by uh, Sunday at 5 p.m. They have that they have that deadline. And, you know, the easy answer for would be you decline those options. I mean, you're not going to pay Andre $15 million next year and guarantee that salary. And you're not going to guarantee Goran $19 million. So the easy answer would be you decline those options and you either – operate with cap space and clear that space, or you hold on to their bird rights, operate as an over-the-cap team, and you sign them to a cheaper uh, a cheaper contract, which that is definitely possible. Um, but, you know, if they would need those contracts for a trade, because right now the Heat have five contracts to trade, right? Jimmy and Bam are the two highest paid. They're not going to trade them. And then after that, the drop-off is Tyler Hero at $4 million. So realistically, to get a trade done, you can't do it with salaries because you don't have the number, you know, the salaries to do it. So they'd have to kind of probably include Andrea Goran's number in there to get a deal done. So do you up, do you take those options and, and use those contracts as trade pieces? So there's a lot of different ways that he can go. I think they ultimately do not exercise those options. And from there, they decide whether they want to operate with space and renounce those, you know, those cap holds. And then they would lose the bird rights to those players, and, and uh, Goran and Andre might just sign elsewhere, or they decide to keep them but sign them to you know the cheaper deals. Um, so the thing I do feel confident about, and this is kind of just a formality at this point, they will extend qualifying offers to Kendrick and Duncan by the Sunday deadline um, and make them restricted free agents because not only because you know obviously you want you want to have the those rights to match any outside offer, but if they need the extra cap space, they can always pull those qualifying offers once free agency begins. So might as well just extend them. And if you yeah. find out that you need the space, you can always pull them. Um, so those are kind of like the looming decisions that he has to make. And then from there, it kind of gets tricky based on kind of what guys are available, um, what is what is Lowry's number look like, um, and all that. So that, there's definitely a lot of decisions that he'd have to make. How we talked about? I think that, I think we talked about this last week. How is the Olympics affecting this? You know, because we obviously, you know, Damian Lillard is going to be the biggest free agency, not free agency, trade name potentially. And Bradley Beal, I guess, who's not with the Olympic team anymore. Um, but is the Olympics a factor here where, where a guy like Damian Lillard, um, you know, it's, it's really hard to imagine him signing with a new team from Tokyo or getting traded to a new team from Tokyo, right? Yeah, it is. And, and you know, who knows what's going to happen in that situation. I know Dame said he's still not sure what he, wants to do, what he wants to do with his future. It doesn't seem like a trade involving Dame is going to happen anytime soon. I mean, he has, he's yeah. getting a four-year deal. Yeah. Like you said, he's playing in Tokyo. I'm guessing he'll find he'll, he'll work it out, with, I would think, work out with Portland to see kind of how this year goes under Chauncey. And, yeah. you know, maybe at some point it does seem like, you know, if things don't work out – at some point soon, like he might ask out, but it just seems like that's not gonna that's not a deal that's gonna happen like in the near future just because of his contract status and you know what he's doing right now with the Olympics, like just a lot of things going on. Um but, you know, I mean I'm sure there there's a certain effect it has from the standpoint of like I'm sure 
you know, uh, my guess, my, educa- my guess would be that the Heat are asking them, like, okay, what's the latest with Dame? What's the latest with, with Dame? Like, is he really yeah. available? Is he really going to ask for a trade? What's the latest with Bradley Beal? Like, you were around him. I know you have a relationship with him. Like, was he trying to feel out, like, what it's like to play for the Heat? Like, that goes on, right? I mean, it's only yeah. human nature to ask those questions if you're the Heat. So, uh, I mean, I think that's maybe the effect it has. But honestly, like, just, I don't think, and tell me if you disagree, David, but I don't think that he'd have the assets to get any of those deals done. They, they just don't, like, how could you yeah, compete? Yeah, it doesn't seem like it. Yeah, like, how could you compete with, like, an offer from Golden State when they have, like, two really high picks in this year's draft and James Wiseman, right? Yeah. Um, yeah I and mean, the Heat uh, don't have a picked yeah. offer for years, and, I mean, their top young asset is Tyler Hero. Yeah, I mean, it seems like um, the... It, it's starting to kind of feel like the Warriors are the prohibitive favorite to get Beal, right? Just with that, you know, obviously there's nothing imminent, nothing like that or whatever, but with those two picks, like if there's going to be a Beal move before free agency, it feels like it's going to be that package. Because they have that package, you know, three legit rebuilding type assets um, that they're, they're the one team that I think can really like swing this pretty easily. Um and then with the Heat, so I, I guess the, the next question there is, like, if you're the Heat, and this is the it's the dilemma we've kind of, the Cash 22 we've kind of talked through so much here, is, you know, if you're the Heat and you, your end goal is still, you know, I, obviously your end goal is to win a championship, and the best way to get to that end goal is to get one more superstar, right? Whether it's Beal, whether it's Damian Lillard, whether it's someone who has not demanded a trade yet. Does that affect your approach going into the summer, right? That's the biggest question they have to, to deal with, right? And we, you know, we talked about it last week. It backfired with Giannis. They clearly were gearing up to try to make a splash this offseason, and it did not happen. Um, and now, you know, not they're in a bad spot, but they're in a different spot. And they could run into the same thing this offseason, where do they, are they really focused on just gearing up to make a run at whoever it might be via trade? Or do they worry about just kind of building a roster that, that around Bam and, and Jimmy can really compete for a title? And, and maybe, and the good thing for the Heat is maybe those are the two same paths, right? I, I guess the one thing there is, is Kyle Lowry, right? That is, if you get Kyle Lowry, this kind of, I, I don't want to say it's your group, but like the Wizards don't want Kyle Lowry. You know, the, the, the Blazers don't want Kyle Lowry. Um, but for the most part, it, it does feel like kind of, because it looks like it's going to have to be a trade if they want to get one more superstar, it does feel like it It kind of lends the heat well to just make this team for next season as good as it can be, and if a trade happens, it happens. Yeah, I think that's that's the tough part. Like, at some point, you got to settle on a core year, right? I mean, Jimmy's yeah. going to be 32 in September. You don't have time to play for 2023 or 2024 if you want to win a championship with Jimmy. You know, and, and this is a window here that's not, you know – it seems like it's a large window, especially if they sign Jimmy to that four-year extension. They're going to have him, you know, under under contract for the next five years. But, you know, what is Jimmy going to look like when he's 34, 35, um, mm-hmm. in the, you know, in the third year of that, ex, you know, that extension or second year of that extension? Um, so, you know, Kyle Lowry is an interesting, <laughs> an interesting uh, case because, you know, he's 35, I believe. Um, the, you know, I've, I've heard, and just like others have reported, that he wants somewhere in the range of, three years and $90 million, which I guess the Heat could offer him if they just totally renounce Kendrick's number and they find a way to lower Duncan's cap hold by kind of like a wink-wink agreement where they agree to a deal, but they lower, you know, they, they pull the qualifying offer to, to kind of lower lower the cap hold of, of his as well. They could probably get to somewhere in that like $90 million range where they could offer Kyle. But do you do that? I mean, if you sign Kyle Lowry to a three-year $90 million deal, and you signed Jimmy to the five-year, a four-year, $181 million extension that he's eligible eligible for in August, um, you're going to have three mm-hmm. players in three years making over $30 million, and Jimmy's going to yeah. be over $40 million. Um, and, you know, Kyle at that point is going to be like 37, 38, and Jimmy will be like 34, 35. Um, that's not ideal, you know? So the Heat are t- in a tough situation where they have to kind of, yeah, you want to make this team as, as you know, as competitive as possible, and, and Kyle makes his team better. But what are the future implications of that? You know, and, and what do you give him that third year that he really wants? And there's other teams that have, you know, I've, I've heard, you know, there's 
been reports out there that New Orleans is very aggressive with Kyle and is ready to offer him that third year if, if that's what he wants. And they, and they kind of have cleared space with that trade they made with Memphis yesterday where they are in a position to do that um, if they don't keep guys like Lonzo and, and others. Um, they do have the space to offer Kyle that, that, that deal. So mm-hmm. um, it's not going to be as easy maybe as we once thought for the Heat to land Kyle Lowry. Um, it might not be at the price they want, but they're going to have a decision to make of like, okay, this makes the team better, but are we willing to t- – to, t- to deal with the long-term consequences of a contract like this. All right. Um, let's wrap things up with our weekly whale hunting segment. I think it uh, transitioned us nicely because this is another point guard who is out there, um, and that is Spencer Dinwiddie is our, our whale this week. I really don't know if he's a whale, but you wrote it down. So Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, who declined a $12.3 million player option uh, and will be an unrestricted free agent, um, had an ACL injury. Uh, missed most of the season, but a guy who was very good before that injury. Um, I think kind of an underrated injury <laughs> when we kind of think about this season, right? You think of all the Nets injuries, like even Spencer Dinwiddie too. That was like, uh, yeah, that, that's another big one. Um, so Spencer Dinwiddie, does he interest you at all? Um, I mean, yeah, he's a nice point guard. I mean, he, he, I think he'd make this team better too if he's healthy. I mean, I know he's had some ACL issues in the past. And obviously, he just had a torn ACL yeah. um, last year, like you just mentioned. Um, but if he's fully recovered, like he, he does address some of the issues that the Heat, you know, kind of have to, to address this offseason. You know, a point guard who could kind of stabilize the offense and take some of the ball handling roles. The only problem with him is he's not a great shooter. Um, surprising. I thought he was like a better shooter, but you know, he's he's not very good over his career from three point range. That means you're going to have three non shooters really in the starting lineup. And carrying your offense at that point, I mean, those are going to be the three, yeah. you know top offensive options. Um, so that's the only issue. But I, I have heard that if the Heat don't get Kyle Lowry, like Spencer is definitely a guy they'd be interested in as kind of a you know fallback, I guess, option. Um, and he's probably more gettable for the Heat. I mean, there'll be some competition, you know, whether it's from the LA teams. I know, you know, there there have been reports out there that Spencer's interested in, in playing Los Angeles. Uh, but he will have cap space if they go the room up in you know, the the room route. Uh, to offer uh, Spencer, like, you know, they'll have between 21 and $27 million in space to offer him. Or even over the cap, I guess they can get a sign-and-trade done if, if Brooklyn wants to kind of cooperate. But um, it, it does it does seem like Spencer's a guy like, you know, the Heat will be, it will, will be on the Heat's radar. Um, mm-hmm. Is he a great fit? I'm not sure. But um, definitely something to monitor. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of feel like he actually is a decent fit. I don't know, you know, he opted out of a $12 million contract. Yeah. Um, obviously, the goal there is to make more money than that and make it on a longer term. Um, and, you know, as we've talked about with the Heat, like, it's kind of all becomes, is it worth it? Is this the guy you want to roll with? And then Dimwitty, in some ways, I feel like, you know, obviously, if he gets massively overpaid, that becomes a tough contract to move. But in some ways, I feel like he is more movable than Kyle Lowry because Kyle Lowry will ultimately just, like, fit with very specific teams, whereas Spencer Dinwiddie is young enough that I think a lot of teams could kind of talk themselves into him as a uh, foundational piece. Um, so it's all going to be about is the money right there for him and are, are the years right. Um, and in the end, you know, maybe he's going to want, like you mentioned, the L.A. teams who – you know, the Heat can offer guys a chance to compete, to contend, but those teams can obviously, you know, really offer guys like, if you come here, there's a really good chance we're going to win a championship. And for a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie, who is going to have, I think, a lot of different types of offers, especially coming off that injury, um, you know, that's the selling point that, that a lot of teams have over the Heat right now. Uh, one yes. thing from Spencer Dinwiddie's uh, Wikipedia page as I'm looking through it, in April 19, 2020, he confirmed reports that he wanted to represent the Nigerian national team. So he'd fit in perfectly with the Heat. Yeah, and, and Victor Oladipo, too, also has Nigerian roots. Like yes. Yeah, like it's kind of crazy. Just all I, I know there was a, written, a story written on that by ESPN undefeated late this season, just like the Nigerian roots on the Heat's roster. And maybe, yeah, maybe that does attract Spencer Dinwiddie to Miami, aside from all the money that he can offer him. Um, just the the... the the possibility of playing with with other uh, guys that played for Team Nigeria this this year. All right, I think we can wrap it up there. Um, we'll have Tim Reynolds coming on in just a little bit. You got anything else on free agency, Anthony? No, I mean I just think it's going to be it, this, like I said. There's a lot of different ways this could go, and I think it's going to be really fascinating to see what the Heat decide because it's going to be 
uh, kind of a glimpse at their long-term plan, I think. You know, if they really settle yeah. on Kyle Lowry and make a long-term investment in him, we kind of know, okay, this is kind of their core now for the next three years, and really Jimmy Butler's probably championship window and Jimmy Butler, the rest of Jimmy Butler's prime. But if they kick if they kick the rocks, like to, kick the rock the next season, and they kind of just do short-term deals and maybe just run most of this team back, then we kind of know, okay, they're, they're, they want something bigger, and they hope for something bigger maybe next year or maybe during the season with a trade. Um, because I, I think it is important to note, while they don't have much draft capital, not only can they just, like, go to OKC and say, can you know, do you want to lift the protections? Can we agree on something where you lift the protection in 2023 and unlock the rest of the picks? But also, if he just wait till 2023, which right. I know seems like a long time away, but it's only two drafts away, um, if that pick conveys it's lottery protected, which you hope that he'd aren't in the lottery in 23, then all of a sudden the rest of the, the, those protections are lifted. And he can offer a bunch of of uh, of, of picks in, in 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 any trade. So the longer this Beal thing goes, the longer this Lillard thing goes, like I think it's better for the Heat because right now they're not in a position to get them. But if this like drags on for another year, he might be in a better spot. Yeah, definitely. And and I have a feeling in 2023, if it's not Bradley Beal or Damian Lillard, it'll be Zion Williamson or John Moran or someone else who's uh, who's ready to to find a new home. Yeah, any star becomes available, yeah. Heat are always going to be mentioned, and the Heat are always going to be interested. We know that. Yeah, and by 2023, like you said, the, the, they'll have many more options to get that done. Uh, but anyway, let's take a break now, and uh, we will be joined by Tim Reynolds, live from Tokyo. All right, we are back, and we are joined now by Tim Reynolds from the Associated Press, live from Tokyo. Tim uh, how's your sleep schedule? I'm sorry, I just woke up. What'd you say? <laughs> um, I, I'm I'm the sleep schedule's fine. I'm sleeping at night. I'm waking up in the morning. I just you don't feel refreshed ever yeah. here. Like you know, I, I've I've done a few of these. I, this one just seems harder. I don't know why. And like I'm not I'm not crying about it. It just. I don't know if it's the flight or just because coming off the finals or because none of us have had a day off in two years. Like, I don't know what it is, but I just, I just don't feel like I have a whole lot of a fastball right now, but it's, it's an Olympics and it is, it's still the coolest thing. Like it's, it's this one that is just different. It's exhausting, but it's an, and it's without fans. We don't have their energy, which really sucks, but it's, there's really nothing to complain about other than, you know, you just have to have a little more caffeine, which as Anthony knows, I am perfectly fine with that. Yeah. There's no, there's not a whole lot of load management in our business. None. No, no, there is none, none of it. Is, is this the most drastic time change you've dealt with him? Or I guess Beijing. I don't know. Beijing. I've been there a few times. Yeah, same, I so. went to Pyong, Pyeongchang. Like I, I, I'm used to the whole if it's day here, it's night there. You know, kind of, kind of deal. I, I, I just really think it was a bad idea to write two stories off Game Six of the NBA Finals and, you know, file at like one o'clock in the morning, and have a six thirty flight out of MIA uh, <laughs> to go to the Olympics. And you know, then you got the be able to sleep on your flight. I think yeah, I planned you got, got the chi- time change kind of right. Like that's you're working at one in the morning in uh, in Tokyo if it's yeah, uh, exactly. U.S. time. So, um, all right, we want to get into the Olympics with you. Uh, it is uh, Wednesday morning, America in America. I guess it is Wednesday night in Japan. Uh, you guys are like 13 hours ahead of us, I think. Right. That's so what is it? Eleven. Eleven PM there right now, is that right? As 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 we are taping this, uh it is eleven eleven. Yeah, it, it is uh ten eleven here wish. in, in Make a uh, wish. on the East Coast. Um so last night, this morning, I don't know what we wanna say. The the United States beat uh, beat Iran <laughs> beat Iran handily, not surprising. Um I guess you know, needed that win, obviously needed to do it probably in that fashion. Um but we, we've got to talk about the France game because um, that is the telling result so far. Um, you know, obviously the United States drops a couple games in the in the lead up to the Olympics. Um, I wasn't quite sure where to put the panico meter. Obviously, a lot of key guys missing. 
um, Drew Holiday, what was his line? Like, this is my first day with the France game. Like, he, he literally showed up that day and, and was probably the best player on the court for the United States. Obviously, Devin Booker and Chris Middleton in kind of the same boat. Um, Tim, where, first of all, how shocked were you by the France game? And um, where did, did it change your expectations for this team? You know, I wasn't shocked. Um Surprised, maybe, but I wasn't shocked because, you know, we had seen France beat the United States at the World Cup in China two years ago. And yes, this roster is a little better than, than the team that the U.S. sent to China for that, for that tournament. But the, between that, between losing to Serbia the next day in China, between losing to the two, the, 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 uh, the two exhibitions in Vegas, um, you know, American exceptionalism might still exist, but the aura of American invincibility uh, does not. Um, these teams are showing up believing that they are going to beat the United States. And, you know, there was really nothing coming out of the scrimmages that made you say, okay, it's really working now. And, and like you said, I mean, Drew Holiday, literally, it was that day. They got to the hotel at 1.17 a.m., yes, we checked, 1.17 a.m. local time Sunday morning from their odysseys from Milwaukee and Phoenix through Seattle to get to the Olympics. Um, and then they played a game at 9 o'clock Sunday night. So literally, it was the day they got here. They got off the plane and played. Um, the, the Iran game was better. Forget the outcome. Like, the outcome's irrelevant. The ball moved better. Guys got to see, you know, the ball go through the net. Um, Devin Booker looked like he didn't have jet lag anymore. Chris Milton looked like he didn't have jet lag anymore. Uh, credit to Drew Holiday for how well he handled it. But you could see a big improvement in, in flow, in just in energy, in just the way guys were clicking. Uh, Pop kind of surprised us by he did practice both Monday and Tuesday. The original plan was that they were going to have Monday off to give guys some time. Uh, he got them on the floor. He figured they needed that. Um, again, the result doesn't really show how far they came on Wednesday because it, the result didn't matter. It was an overmatched opponent. Um, but it just seemed like that some momentum was starting to build. So now we see what what happened Saturday with the checks. But it was – to go back to your original question, David, the France result, no, it didn't shock me. It really didn't. I mean, I, I thought they would win the game. I'm not going to sit here and say I picked the U.S. to lose. Um, I didn't. But um, there was no fear. And the longer it became a game, the longer that they let France hang around, you knew they were asking for trouble. And sure enough, they got the lull in the fourth quarter, and that was it. Tim, is it, is it fair to say at this point, like, any team with NBA talent is going to give the U.S. a competitive game? I mean, we've seen like, it's kind of a representative sample size at this point between, you know, recent Olympics, the Worlds, you know, exhibition games, and, you know, take that for what it's worth, and the France game. Like, any team with NBA talent is going to make, you know, make it pretty competitive with, with the U.S., not because they're as talented as the U.S., but just because of the chemistry they have together, the time they play together their familiarity with the international game, like when this team gets to the knockout round, like should they expect kind of like these games that go down to the final minutes at this point? Well, it's up to them, you know, because they do have more talent than everybody. I mean, yes, the Australians have been together. I mean, Joe Ingles and Patty Mills have been playing in national team programs together since they were teenagers. And I think they're now both in their fifties. I think just the way it seems like they've been around forever. So um, they've been around a long time. The, the French team has been around for a long time. The, 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 the jokes write themselves about how long the Spanish team has been around. Um, there is a certain level of chemistry and continuity um, that the U.S. simply does not have and will not be able to replicate in the next one, three, five, seven, or nine days. It's just not going to happen. Um, that said... This team has enough talent to beat everybody in this tournament by 30. They just do. Um, the question is whether they will figure out in time how to harness it. Um, I, again, like I said, forget the score. 
I think some of the things you saw against Iran were steps in the right direction. Uh, you need to see more of those steps against the Czechs on Saturday. And then the way this thing kind of looks like it's going to break, the Americans will be in that. It's, it's really complicated how it works after group play. Like there's going to be eight teams that move on out of the 12, the three group winners, and then the best second place team that will probably be based on point differential and mostly point differential anyway. The U.S. winning a game by 54 points is certainly going to help their point differential. So a big win against the Czechs probably puts the U.S. in that top pool, which means they would theoretically get an easier path in the knockout round. There's a lot of balls in the air, but I, I think there's – if they show up and play the way that they're supposed to play, no, nobody should hang with this team. Um it's just a question of can they figure out what that secret sauce is in time. Yeah, I mean, from that France game, one of the most striking things for me was, um, well, one, that Bam was the leading scorer on the team for a lot of that game. And, you know, Kevin Durant only having 10 points. Like, I know I know they want to move the ball. I know that, you know, the ke- like building the chemistry is almost more important than anything they could have done in that first game. Obviously, you, you want to get through with three wins and get the most favorable draw you can. But, um I don't know, this team, as you kind of mentioned, I guess it's kind of finding themselves, but, it, you know, they have the talent. Like, it feels like when push comes to shove, they still should be able to, you know, between Kevin Durant and Damian Lillard, like, the offense shouldn't be a question. They shouldn't be scoring, what, 70-some points in that first game. Like, it was – it felt like there were reasons to concern – to be concerned, obviously, off that first game, I think, beyond – um just, like, the loss, but I think they were also, like, it wasn't hard to imagine the United States kind of figuring things out pretty quickly. Just So just where, coming off that game, how did you feel about, you know, were you, were you still kind of, you know, you're obviously going to Tokyo, you're assuming you're going to write a gold medal story for the United States. Do you still feel the same way after, after that France game? Um, and uh, how, how do you kind of feel just about their chances right now? I, I, think, I think they're fine. Like, I mean, they have... They have the check game to continue working through whatever. You know, I mean, they still have that. They still have a a. It's a game they should win and should win handily. Give this group two big blowout wins. I think everybody starts to take notice, and I think they start to get their swagger back. Um, I think maybe whatever hits they took from losing the two games in Vegas, from losing the game against France here, from, again, that aura of invincibility kind of being eroded around the world a little bit, you know, as long as they think they're invincible, then maybe that's the way to go. So Mm -hmm. I think if they have another big win Saturday, they become huge favorites again. I still think they're the favorites. I still think they're going to win the thing. Um, I just don't think... I I think the lesson you hope the lesson that they've learned at this point is that you don't want this to go down to a down to the wire game because you've got six or seven alphas on this team. Pop could put a lineup of five alphas on the floor. It doesn't really work. Like, you know, who's going to be the guy, you know, is, they don't know, and, and you can see them freeze when, when that, I mean, you know, the Nigeria game, who was going to be the guy down the stretch? They didn't know. They lost. The first Australia game, who was going to be the guy? They had no clue. It was that, that game wasn't really in doubt at all the way it was going. Um, you know, the France game, if not for Drew Holiday, it would have been completely hideous um, because they didn't know who the guy was. And I don't think they're going to have a Kobe a Dwayne, a LeBron, that guy who can take over. Mello. Mello was so good for so mm-hmm. many Olympic teams. Should still be on the team. Should still be on the team. Should have got he, – he'd earned – I agree with you, and I know you're – we're both being like 8% facetious, but not really. Like not really, no. no. I'm not he even joking earned, about it anymore. I'm not either. He earned it. He earned it, and it's wrong. You're absolutely right. It's wrong that he's not here. He should, if he's the 12th guy, he's the 12th guy. He earned the right to be here. Period. Full stop. He did. That 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 all said, 
they're, they're not going to be able to figure out how to take five alphas and figure out who's going to be the fifth option. You need to take, you need to go at guys from the jump. You need to get out and run, run, run. You need to put teams in a hole. You need to make them adjust to you. You need to flex muscle from the, from the tip off. Seriously. You need to start putting on points and warm ups. Don't let these teams hang with you. Games are shorter. FIBA games are weird. The rules are a little different. We've gone over all this ad nauseum the last couple of weeks. Don't leave it to chance. Start flexing your muscle from the get-go. I'm going to need Dame and and, and KD to stop passing up on open shots. Like, they should each be getting probably 15 shots a game, every game. Like, those are the two guys that they just need to take every open shot they get, right? And KD said it today. He said, we're being way too unselfish. And he's right. Yeah. Like, it, it's it's kind of an all-star game, except the other team's really playing hard. Right. So it doesn't make it an all-star game. I wanted to ask you about the one heat player in Team USA. I know I don't know how much you've had a chance to talk to Bam with everything going on, but just, like, what have you noticed just from observing him about how he's kind of handled this experience and how he's kind of transitioned to this role? It doesn't seem like it's a much different role than he plays with the Heat, just, like, with more talent around him. But how, how have you guys seen him kind of handle all of this uh, since he arrived in Tokyo? You know, Bam, so today Bam was walking past Kevin Durant when Kevin Durant was doing a small group interview um, coming off the court. And Bam was looking for the cameras. And he was looking, it was like that same look he has, like when Jimmy's doing the walk-off interview on on Bali. It was Bam. So, yes, very much in the same role as as with the Heat. He's the guy looking to disrupt post-game interviews um, and doing a fine job of it, I might add. Um. I've talked to a couple of people who had access to practice. Um, he's not the same guy that they had two years ago when he didn't make the World Cup team. Um, he has impressed everybody really from the time the plane that carried him and Tyler to Vegas landed on, on July 5th. Um, he's had three really good weeks, and he's shown why he's on this team. He's shown why they want him. He's shown why he's a max player. He's shown why he's an all-star. He's shown why he's probably going to be an all-NBA guy sooner than later, and he should be a defensive player of the year. He makes the game so much easier for the rest of these guys. We see it 82 games or 72 games this past year You know when he's playing for the Heat. you know We get to write about that 72 times. Um I don't think USA basketball fully expected him to be this good. I, I mean that. Like, I think they thought he was good for the international game, obviously an up-and-coming guy, a guy who would accept his role. I don't know if they expected him to be, like, a pretty critical part of this thing if, if they're going to get done what they want to get done. So I think he's had three exceptional weeks, and there's no – there's zero downside. Like, the Heat are getting – a better bam out of this. It, that, that's a win-win for everybody. All right, Sam, I'll finish you with this one. What's the best thing you've eaten in Tokyo? The best thing I've eaten in Tokyo is without question, there is a convenience store chain here, and Anthony Bourdain did a feature on it eight years ago. And he said the absolute best thing that he had is the egg salad sandwich from some this convenience store. I forget the name of the thing. But anyway, you people really? It's a very simple Egg salad sandwich, white bread, crust cut off, boiled, you know, hard boiled egg with this mayonnaise they use over here where they don't use the whole egg. They just use the yolk. So it's a little richer and it goes a lot further. I know it sounds weird. It's the best thing I've had. A convenience store egg salad sandwich. And and I'm not crapping on the other food that we've had. Like we've ordered in Garp because we can't go anywhere because right. of the we can't. So we have to, you know, Uber Eats is bringing us like pizza and burgers and stuff every day to the arena for lunch because there's really nothing at the arena besides like microwavable hot dogs. Not kidding on that. Microwave hot dogs at the arena is pretty much the only thing. Um, so you get your Uber Eats fix, which is, you know, after a while, it's going to get very uh, not good, <laughs> not good for any of us. But the eggs, I'm telling you, the egg salad is phenomenal. Of course, I've gone for sushi a couple of times. And as you'd expect, the sushi here is is pretty good. Um, breakfast is exactly the same every day. I'll say this. I'm going to give the best food 
to the egg salad sandwich um, from this convenience store chain. I still can't think of the name of it. I'll give it give the strangest, though, to the salad they give us at breakfast every morning. Salad comes with breakfast. Soup, salad, eggs, pastry, bacon, green beans, figure that one out, and yogurt. They give us the same breakfast every day. It's unusual, but the egg salad sandwich is divine. I'll say that. Tim, knowing knowing my appetite, and I have the taste buds of like a seven-year-old, how much weight (laughs) would I lose until? (laughs) Um, There's McDonald's. Okay. You'd be fine. So maybe I'd gain weight. I bet the McDonald's is awesome, right? Fast food in other countries is supposed to be awesome. So I have not had the burger because why? Um, Right. The teriyaki chicken sandwich at McDonald's in Saitama. It's like, are you kidding me? Why don't we have this? Like, we yeah, don't, seriously. It just shows you just how silly Americans are sometimes. Like, we just go nuts for the McRib, which is just foul on every conceivable level. Yeah. The teriyaki chicken sandwich here is actually a very delightful sandwich. All right, Tim. Uh, thanks for coming on from Tokyo. Get some sleep. Um, hopefully we'll get you on uh, again uh, next week if we can make the schedule work uh, once we get to some some really meaningful games uh, from Japan. And remember, I think by this time next week, we'll probably have other things to talk about. That's true, too. Yeah, we'll get you on maybe for some, uh, some free agency talk, some draft talk. I mean, Anthony and I talked about this in the first half of the episode, but it's going to be interesting with, with some of the, the big uh, rumor names in Tokyo how that's going to affect things. Like, you know, it's hard to imagine Dame Lillard winding up with a new team while he's uh, in Saitama, Japan, but maybe I'm wrong. I will make this prediction before I let you guys go. One of the guys on this team, by the time we talk again, will have been traded. Wow. All right, I like it. All right, yeah, you can follow Tim from Japan uh, at by Tim Reynolds on Twitter. Uh, you can follow Anthony on Twitter at Anthony underscore Chang. He's got uh, your draft coverage, your free agency coverage at MiamiHerald.com. Coming. You can follow me on Twitter at DBWilson2. Um, until next week, uh, we'll uh, have fun in Tokyo, Tim. Thanks, guys. <laughs>